Planetary Radio is public radio's only weekly series about space exploration. I'm Matt Kaplan, and I hope you'll join me as we explore Mars, look for life in the universe, and fly through the rings of Saturn. We'll talk with the men and women, scientists and dreamers who are guiding us to a future beyond Earth. And don't forget to enter our weekly space trivia contest. That's Planetary Radio, Mondays at 5.30 p.m. right here on KUCI. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits on the advisory board of the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on uh, 48 Hours, Dateline, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, and lots of other shows. So to learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Evening, Murray. Good evening, Lloyd. Remember John Jeffries? We met him in Michigan. A great guy. When yes, we were, I do. Yeah, that was at the Poneman Institute. And he was so wonderful that I thought it would be terrific to have him come on our show and talk about privacy, security, and marketing, because that's his specialty. Let me tell you a little bit about him, and uh, we'll have him join us from uh, California. And he is, John Jeffries is a security marketing expert. He's the Senior Vice President of Marketing at Red Cannon. And John brings a decade of security marketing experience to to that company. Prior to joining Red Cannon, he came from Taros, where he drove marketing for the leader in web application firewalls until it was acquired by Citrix. Then prior to Taros, he was Vice President of Marketing at Silicon Defense, where he raised the visibility of the worm threat and defined the worm defense space. He has launched and managed major network security and internet products for both startup and Fortune 500 organizations, including such companies as Receipt.com, which was acquired by Valacert, Pario Software, which was acquired by Lucent, Bascom, acquired by IBM, and Hewlett Packard. John obtained his MBA from the Ivy School of Business in London, Ontario, and his BA in, in business from Michigan State University. You can find out more about him and his company at redcannon.com. But we're really thrilled that he joined us because he actually was kind enough to um, get healthy for us. He had a, a little brief flu, so we're really thrilled that he's back with us. And thank you, John, for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mari. Well, John, first of all, you have to tell us, how did you become such a techie, really, in marketing? You're a marketing guru. Well, it's a, it was a long path. I started out originally as a, as a financial analyst, 
in uh, in the investment business in Canada, and moved out to the Silicon Valley, and was actually one of the very first webmasters, Fortune 500 webmasters on the planet about 15 years ago. Hmm. And at that point in time, people were very concerned about commercial use of the internet because back then it was mostly for educational purposes, and <clears throat> they were concerned about commercial people co-opting it. But really, what they should have been concerned about is the general public accessing and using a very insecure mechanism to do their personal and business lives on. And what I realized as I went out in the world and started to work with startups, and particularly security startups, was there was a vast array of vulnerabilities that the Internet presented to people. Um, and I personally am very concerned about my personal privacy, and I felt that both the combination of privacy and, as you're probably aware, security has a lot to do with numbers, and my background is in finance, and a lot of the, the encryption is very numeric-oriented. So it, it was very appealing to me from an intellectual perspective and from a personal interest perspective. Yeah, it must have been pretty exciting starting out with all these companies that got acquired and bought out. You know, that means that they were doing good jobs to, to even be acquired by other companies. So most of these were dealing, now you dealt with the worm defense space, so that seems to be a, a huge issue, isn't it? Uh, and it has, as of, as of recently, it's poked it, its head up again, if, as you, if you may have watched in the press, with the, uh, the latest worm attacks that have focused both on email attacks and on web-based attacks. And they're getting very much more targeted and very much more malicious. Right. So, so tell us a little bit about the company that we're, you're working for now. What, what is basically their objectives and their goals? Red Cannon is really a company with dual focus. We have, we're, we're a portable security company, and we're really, our, our original product protects people who lose or have flash drives stolen from them. Because as you know, people are using flash drives in business and in personal lives every, every day in every way. And there's literally tens of millions of these devices. Actually, last year in America, there were 60 million of these devices sold. And I, I personally am responsible for losing at least half a dozen of those <laughs> devices. Exactly. You know, I, I, it drives me nuts because a lot of them don't have something that you could, you know, like wear it around your neck or something. You know what I mean? Some of them you have these little things that you can put on or they, they don't have something that you could put on them. And they're so easy to lose. They're just so easy to lose. And they're also getting so large in terms of capacity that you can literally walk out with the crown jewels of a corporation in a, in a very few short minutes. Right, and it, and it fits in such a tiny place. So it could be like in a back pocket that no one could even see it. It wouldn't even be visible to see. I mean, it's so tiny. So so what kinds of security problems um, or what is Red Cannon doing about, you know, protecting that information when somebody does take in a, um, a flash drive? Well, what we do is we have a tracking capability that understands what information is on the flash drive. So I, I want to start out to say that this is, this is a corporate solution, not a, a personal solution. Right, so right. If, if anyone is listening to me and wondering, gee, if, is this appropriate for my personal use, it probably is not. This is really something that a company would deploy to protect their customers from losing their identity. So it protects personal and confidential data from being stolen or being walked away with from companies. And what we can do is we can track and know at any point in time what information is on that drive, and we can also verify that it's been encrypted, which means that it's not readable 
by anyone who does not have the keys. So, so tell me something, um, John, would that be able to tell if somebody in the corporation is an unscrupulous employee taking something away, or is it only if you are authorized to do this? How does that work? Well, our solution has two parts. The, we have what we call the port control, and that can control which physical drives an individual can plug into which physical machines. And that, in that way, you could protect a, an unscrupulous person from plugging in a non-trusted or a non-company uh, flash drive into a company computer. Um, but we really have a hard time identifying uh, the intentions of the user. So the best thing we can do is to identify what is there and what is the potential to be lost. And, and then the final piece, what we provide is if the, the drive is lost or stolen, we simply can blow it up uh, remotely. Oh, very good. So if, if you find out that there was something that someone took a flash drive who was authorized and they lost it, you can blow it up. Correct. As, once they know that it's, that it's lost. Is there some kind of an audit trail that lets um, someone know, you know, in the business that, that, that indeed a flash drive was put in there and, and that uh, information was taken? Absolutely. We, we continually log all movement back and forth onto the drive and off of the drive. And one of our very unique capabilities is, is we continue to track what's going on, what's happening with that drive, no matter where it is in the world. So a, a person could take that drive to five different computers, and that, which aren't even online, then plug it into an online computer, and we would have complete knowledge of what happened to those files on that drive. And that, that's useful for two, ter- for two reasons. A- as you know, one of the, the phenomenons in, in privacy right now is, in terms of breach disclosure is the tendency to over-disclose. And with our solution, people have complete knowledge of what was on the drive and also what was never taken off the drive. So at any point in time, they could stand up in a court of law and say definitively that this data was never exposed and based depending on the, the state, such as California, in California, encrypted is not breached. Right. Yeah, and that gets back to our security breach law, which basically says that if you have electronic information that was taken by an unauthorized person that's not encrypted, you have a duty to disclose to all potential victims. But if it is encrypted, then the du- there is no duty to disclose because there's that that hope that it's not an unscrupulous employee who, who has the key, but someone who doesn't have the key, so that information would be safe. Exactly. Yeah. So, so in terms of this, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit confused about one of the things, though. So you've got an audit trail, so we know who takes this stuff, right? Basically, is, that, is, there, is there some audit trail with, with your product? Is it, is it software, is it, or is it... Do you actually order the um, the drives from you all? How does that work? Is it is it the software that goes on the computer for the business? No. Well, our our vision is is that you can take this drive to any computer anywhere. So you don't need to install software on any computers uh, to use our software. But the the appli- the the drives themselves actually call home. So we have an appliance that we call the Alchemy appliance that someone would put it literally in in their network, probably right beside their web server, 
and that would continuously communicate to the flash drives. Uh, and it would communicate m- multiple different things. It would communicate the logs back and forth, as well as <clears throat> the the health of the drive. Um, we have, as I... As so help me understand. So these flash drives are really your flash drives, correct? They, they buy the Red Cannon flash drives, and they work in any computer. Is that correct? That was our original model. When we first came, when we first brought our product to market, we actually pre-installed our software on Kingston on Kingston flash drives, and we found that that somewhat confused people because they thought that we were a hard drive manufacturer, and we also found that companies have a very heterogeneous pool of flash drives in their environment, and our solution can actually manage and control a vast a vast array of flash drives. So you could have uh, flash drives from SanDisk, from Lexar, from Kingston, and with our software on them, you can manage them all from one centralized location, from a web console. Okay, so you're talking to a non-techie, but I do use flash drives. So what I do when I when I get my flash drive, whether it's a SanDisk or whatever it is, and I want to plug into the computer, the the business computer. I put that flash drive in, and then I download the software from Red Cannon, and then I um, collect whatever it is, the files I need. Is that how that works? Uh, It's a little simpler than that. So we we have two activation modes. Either your administrator can pre-configure it for you, in which case your your Red Cannon drive will come completely pre-installed and and have all the software working on it, or we have what we call the self-service model where the user simply receives an email with a download link and from there based on the licensing they have they either download the access product or the vault product and it's automatically installed right onto their hard drive okay. onto their flash drive so if i'm a business owner and i want to use this to protect the um, the the information that's on these usb drives and I say, okay, everybody in the organization, you have to download this. How do I know that they're going to do that, or they cannot get into the computer without that software? Well, you you restrict the access from from the PCs with the port blocking software. So, okay. if you're a business owner, you can say, for instance, I'm only going to allow Lexar drives on, on into my environment, and with our port control software. You can say, I'm only going to allow Lexar drives with Red Cannon software into my environment. Oh, that, I see. That so limits the ability uh, for someone to bring in the exact same drive without the software. Okay. And we can even go further with partners like Patchlink, where we can manage, or through them, we can manage entire fleets of drives, where you can say, these 500 drives with serial numbers X through Y are allowed into our network, and no other drives are allowed in our network. I see. So so that means that anybody who is not authorized cannot even get into the network unless they show that they have this software. Correct. Is that correct? Now, on this the software, are, you said that you can recognize uh, anywhere um, what, that there's information that's sent back from these uh, USB drives to the Red Cannon, right? Is that through radio frequency identifiers, or how is that go? How is that uh, communication set up? That communication is done via HTTP, which is the hypertext 
transfer protocol, which is this, the, the protocol that all web browsers speak. So it's a very w- open to, to firewall, so it's easy to communicate. It's a very lightweight protocol, um, and we do a lot of things with that. It also enables file transfer. So we transfer things like we, one of the, the other features we provide is the ability to scan a host PC for malware before you even log into it. Oh, that's that's on that little USB drive as well. That a- that a scan before you even plug it in. Absolutely. So we have two solutions. We have the Vault solution, which is just a managed encrypted vault, and then we have the Access solution, which is a full suite of remote access software that runs on a flash drive. And the very first thing we do is we want to make sure that you're working from a safe PC. Right. Yeah, but what happens if I go into a PC and there and it's not connected to an internet? Would you then you wouldn't have any way of communicating because it, you know there's there's no transfer, right? I mean, it's not connected to the internet. The the communication is is not required for the drives themselves to operate. So the drives themselves um, once again, everything is very policy-driven with our, with our solution. So the administrator would set up a call-home policy that would determine the number of days that a drive would have to call home. So if, if the administra- administrator set a one-week policy or a three-week policy and you did not log in before that time, it might lock you out okay. until you got re-enabled. Okay. But as long as you're accessing within that window, so as long as you're accessing in that 30-day window, and it's called it's or that it's called home in, then you'd have full access to the the PC and the the applications on the on the drive. Right. So, what if I was a um, unscrupulous employee that had that really originally had authorization to take information on the USB drive, and I had the the software that um, the Red Cannon software said, and that was authorized. And then I did. Somebody wanted to pay me to provide this intellectual property or or something. Um, the bad guys paid me to to put this on another computer. Uh, would I be able to do that? That that's not an unauthorized computer. Yes, you would be able to do that. If if you have if the dr- up until the drive has been disabled or locked out, the user does have rights to use the files in his vault. We would have knowledge of where it's moved to and from, but until such time as his manager has said this user is unscrupulous, we'd have right. no reason to stop him. Right, but you or would be able to find him or her because there was some kind of an audit trail that you know this is the person who took this drive, who took this information. Absolutely. We'd be able to uniquely identify both the drive and the PC that it was copied to. Isn't it terrible, John, that we have to live in an age where we have to worry about fraudsters doing this kind of stuff? Well, you know, Mari, <laughs> as you said, I've been in security for a long time, and I've, I'm, no, I'm not surprised. Um, one, of the, one of the things we've seen is the evolution of, of the hackers from when I was a kid. They were just people seeking notoriety and at worst were changing their grades to now where people are really uh, doing very targeted, very focused attacks um, and looking for money. And, right. um, you know, it's just like robbing the banks. The, re- the reason people rob people online is because that's where the money is. Right, right. We're speaking with John Jeffries, who is the Senior Vice President of Marketing, and he is with 
Red Cannon, redcannon.com. And he's come from a, a long uh, line of uh, great opportunities to work with various startups in security, and he's uh, got a background in finance and security. So help me understand then, how did you learn all this technology for each one of these things? It must be tough to each company, you have to learn the technology, and you're a marketing expert. Um, you know, I guess I'm a geek at heart. I, uh, I read a lot. Um, I, I study a lot, and, and I, I'm fascinated by the technology. And it's a, it's, it is a classic arms race. It's good guys against the bad guys. And, you know, pe- people's identities are at stake. It's, it's an important war. What kinds of companies are you working with right now? What kind of companies need this technology? We work with a lot of financial and healthcare companies. Uh, we also work a lot with the federal government, the um, the regulated a- agencies and uh, and companies seem to have the greatest need for the the vault technology. So, as I said, we have the vault and the access. And right now, in in light of a lot of the the recent events, we're seeing a great demand for for the vault because. It gives the, both the protection and the centralized management, so you can you can remotely kill or 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 address the the files. But it's not just about about uh, defense. It also is some some very basic um, some very basic uh, encryption things that apply here. Is that one of the the greatest barriers to encryption has always been just that it's been cumbersome, and by making it very easy for the user to to deploy and use. Uh, we eliminate one of the barriers, and, and quite frankly, one of the barriers for me to use encryption on some of my my personal devices has been just fear of loss of passwords. Um, right. And by delivering the ability to, to reset passwords uh, remotely, we, we remove that fear, and people can lose their passwords with our solution if they want, and they can reset them with their administrator. So why don't you explain, I mean, I know what encryption is, and I think people have a little bit of an idea. And remember, we're we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California, so we have a lot of students who probably are pretty savvy about this kind of stuff. But my experience with most people is, you know, and businesses, they're not really encrypting. They're not encrypting in emails. They're not encrypting attachments to emails. So let's have you explain a little bit more about encryption and then explain to us how your technology encrypts in a user-friendly way. Encryption is a technique of locking files or data so that others can't see them. With encryption, a user has a key, which is typically matched with a, a second key. And that second key can open it, but it may not be able to lock the file or vice versa. So you can send files out, and no one can open those files unless they have the appropriate key. And one of the things we've seen over time and over time in security is both different algorithms have different strength and in terms of the, the name of the algorithm may, may indicate the strength or, or people may know what the strength is associated with it. So currently we're using AES and it, we're using AES 256-bit, which means that there are 256 ones and zeros essentially uh, used to create that key. Okay, so that's that's more secure than 128-bit in- encryption. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. All right. So once, if if you sent me a file that's encrypted, you would provide me a key to unencrypt it so that I could read all those numbers. It would suddenly become, if it was um, a, a confidential file, I could then use that key to decrypt it, and then I'd be able to read the file. Correct. 
Yeah, in, in an email context, you and I probably would have exchanged keys in advance, right? In a different trusted mechanism, mm-hmm. um, so that you, I already know that that who you are and you know who I am. So we have in, in security terms, have authenticated ourselves to each other. And in the terms of our solution, the device has a key and the user has a password, and the password unlocks the key for the user to access his data. Okay, so Red Cannon, so. Red Cannon has uh, developed some uh, solution that the encryption is very easy with regard to this USB technology, right? So h- how does that work so that these USB uh, ports um, are – how does it happen? Just kind of explain it's, it's, it. it. It happens very simply. The, uh, when, the, when the user sticks at one of our drives or one of our, our keypoint-enabled drives into their PC – Keypoint will automatically run, and they're they're presented with their an authentication screen, which has their username. It would say Mari, and you would enter your password. And after you enter your password, your the the vault pops up as just a regular Windows Explorer type screen, and you can simply drag and drop files right into that into that folder, and they're automatically encrypted. So that's what I would do when I'm when I'm trying to take stuff from the company, right? And then it will stay encrypted on that USB drive. And then when I go to put it into another drive, then what do I do? You simply drag and drop it. If you wanted to put that onto your hard drive, you would simply open up the vault. Once again, you've already authenticated to it. Okay, that's the first thing it's going to do is ask for an authentication once uh, or not. or to un- un- It would be a one-time thing. Okay. Or, or once again, it's policy-driven. So if your, user would, or if your administrator would like his users to, to re-log in every 15 minutes or 40 mm-hmm. minutes, that could, that could be enabled as well. But, assu- but assuming you're starting from scratch, the very first thing you do is you'd authenticate to the drive itself, and then you simply open that window and drag and drop it into the vo- onto your hard disk. Okay, so then it is no longer encrypted when it's on my hard disk? Correct. Okay. But we have complete knowledge of that movement. All right. And then if it's moved again on that, it, anytime it's moved from that USB drive, you know it. Is that what you're saying? Cause that, that is correct. Because the USB drive actually has the Red Cannon software on it? Exactly. And we're continually, even though that drive might, that PC may not be online, we're continuously writing a log to an encrypted log file on that drive, which we later send to our server. Okay. Tell us about some of the problems like the Boeing flash drive breach. And- well, I think that was a, that was a real eye opener for a lot of folks because in the past people have really been focused on uh, personal and confidential information being lost and people losing identities uh, with these data breaches. And I think what was significant with the Boeing breach was the magnitude of it and the the amount of information and the value of that information that that individual got. So in that case, an individual... Kind of explain that, because not everybody knows about it. So sure. tell what happened. So over a course of, of several months, an individual copied somewhere between $5 billion and $15 billion worth of corporate secrets of Boeing Corporation onto a flash drive, mm. which he had stored. He had a, a cable that went into his drawer, and every night he'd walk out with it. Wow. Um, and... It was only by looking at the, the access records that they were able to identify him as an unscrupulous employee. Right, right. And so there, there's two, two, at least two ways we would have helped or, 
prevent or, or mitigate that damage. One is if he had been using a large drive that, that was unauthorized, we would have blocked that. Right. Um, and certainly if anyone had been looking at the data movement logs that we provide, uh, he would have been flagged as a very high-use user. Right. Uh, because he was moving literally thousands and thousands of files around. And then third of all, if, it, if the, the data was lost, and, and we, we recognize the, the individual is unscrupulous, even if he had already sold that flash drive to, to a foreign nation or a competitor of Boeing's, we could remotely delete it, which, uh -huh. which is a very powerful capability. Right, right. So when you think about, you know, I've been reading books by Kevin Mitnick. He's going to be on our show, and he has some of these books about how some of these kids are being bought by terrorists to get information like Boeing or the government or, you know, to hack in there and to, to get information. It's pretty scary when you think somebody could go in as an unscrupulous employee who's, who's techie and then go in and do exactly what this individual did. Was he caught? Yes, he was caught. Um, and I think what Kevin was talking about applies in spades, and I think that it's probably more widely traded with personal identities, where in my, my past life at Taros, I was involved with, with a lot of the, uh, the online banking community and online bank threats. And one of the things I became acutely aware of is that there's, entire, there's complete and very discrete secondary markets where people are selling... Uh, different levels of private information. They may just sell your social security number with your, your name associated, associated with it, or they may call, sell what they call a complete wallet, which is your bank account, your mother's maiden name, and everything about you. And they, it's typically structured in offshore countries, um, in, in, in former, former Russian bloc countries, uh, right. often and the American hackers are typically called mules where they're they're either going and creating the credit cards that that are used to to m remove the funds um, but at the end of the day they're not the sophisticated hackers they're they're more the more the mule right you know there's been some studies and you probably know about these more than I do about how much of this really happens from the unscrupulous insiders do you do you know of what percentage, or do you have any kind of surveys? I know uh, Poneman Institute has looked into that a little bit, but do you know of anything when you're doing your marketing that why this is so important? Well, I think, you know, part of it's anecdotal and part of it is based on some of the Poneman research. Is One of the things that they, they discovered and, and I found fascinating was that companies for some reason have not been addressing it there seems to be a, an awareness of this threat um, in that the Poneman Institute discovered that 52 percent of companies know that they have confidential information on these drives yet at the same time that's the exact same number surprisingly 52 percent know that they wouldn't have any clue if they lost one of these drives mm. um, which leads me to believe that that things like the the VA loss of, of last year and others are really just the tip of the iceberg. And while unscrupulous users are a concern, um, sloppy users are also a big concern. Right. Oh, absolutely. I, 
I've lost a couple uh, USB drives that didn't that had pictures on them. You know, <laughs> luckily I didn't have anything that had anything sensitive on it. But things that I've removed, or some PowerPoint presentations that I've taken with me to go somewhere, and I can't find them. They're somewhere maybe in my uh, you know in my drawer or something, but I can't find them. They're, they're, it's crazy. I think something has to be done to make these. USB drives, at least more, you know, my husband was saying, maybe put them on your, your keychain, which I've seen some of them on keychains. What do you suggest for that so those things aren't even lost? You know, I, I actually do keep mine on a keychain. I, yeah. I have a very uh, small little hook, um, and, and I keep my primary drive on a keychain. I also um, have a little, you know, a, a technology is coming of age when, when there's carriers for it. And I also have a carrier that actually is a little wallet that holds half a dozen flash drives. Oh, that's a good idea. I um, have one that I put around my neck just like I have to wear my pretty – pretty soon I'm going to have my neck hurting me because I have my cell phone to put around my neck <laughs> I, I, because I, I can't get it out in time, you know, if it's in my purse or if, or then I have the USB uh, drive that I put around my neck and, and my sunglasses around my neck. What else am I going to – so yeah, I, I think Lloyd's right. I think that I think the keychain approach is is a very good approach. Yeah, yeah. But again, that could be lost easily too. You have to know exactly where you're putting it. Or, you know, it's scary because we come in and we put our keys. We have a, a key holder, and when we come in the house, we put the the keys on the key holder. So who would have access to that? You know, somebody who's cleaning your home, or maybe someone who's doing repair work. It's 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 really. I think a challenge when you have all this sensitive stuff, whether it's on your cell phone or USB drive. What about cell phones? Pretty soon we're going to be able to download stuff on cell phones and pod, iPods, right? Aren't they doing that already? Absolutely. Um, and in fact, that's one of the solution areas that that we're intending on focusing on. So you're looking at, yeah, because I know some companies will say you cannot bring an iPad pod into work because people can actually. <laughs> download information onto their iPod, right? Absolutely. The, the vernacular for that is called pod slurping. Pod slurping? Pod slurping. Oh, okay. It cre- creates quite an image in your mind. <laughs> oh, God. So, so what do you tell companies? I mean, you obviously are very articulate and you know this stuff, and, but when you're going into companies or you're doing some marketing, it's probably pretty overwhelming for, for some of these companies. So how do you... Um, how do you market this stuff? Well, the you know we the, we market it in two. Once again, as I said, we have the two solutions. the 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 remote access solution is is harder for people to get their heads around, and and in many ways, it's much like showing people the web in the early days. Right. They think it's really cool, and they think it's great that they can have a browser with them wherever they go. But they're still not quite exactly sure how they could use it. Um, with regard to the Vault solution. Um, there's such a growing demand to encrypt data and a, a, such a growing pushback from consumers about lost identities that that side is, is actually much, much easier, um, where we, we basically are, are getting the message out in, any, in the ways we can. In fact, one of, the, one of the things we've done recently and we'll be announcing shortly is a, a Poneman research uh, study where I, I was fascinated with those, those two numbers I threw out so much earlier, that I asked Larry to, to figure out what, what, was, what else was going on and how, how people were using them and, and really help to educate people without scaring them too much about the, the risks that they're incurring. 
And, and what, you're talking about companies, right? That that the risk that they're the um, the risk that they have that they have they wouldn't know. Is this what you're talking about? That they found out that they they wouldn't know if someone had taken information from their hard drives on a USB drive. Yeah, and I I think part of the reason is is that these drives have sort of crept in to corporations without the executive suite necessarily noticing. Right. And because originally they were just you know very small, 32k and just uh, a floppy drive replacement. So no one really gave them much thought. No one really worried about them much. Um, but as their capacity grew into the gigabytes, um, the the risk that they posed became much, much greater. And and the need to address it has, has really escalated. Right. I think what we've talked about when you were at Poneman with me is, you know, a lot of companies don't even know... Um, where they've got all their information and, and they haven't inventoried it. And so that becomes a problem is that, that they don't even know what they've got on <laughs> on their own hard drives, let alone, you know, what's going to be taken off their hard drives. So what kind of recommendations do you really have for, for large companies so that they um, are inventorying their, their sensitive data versus their non-sensitive data? So at a, at a very base level, I recommend that people classify their data so they can clearly identify and, and know what what is sensitive and what is not. And if they don't do that, then I think they should just encrypt everything. You know, if they if they can identify what is, is clearly, you know, in my work and my marketing stuff, if someone were to get a hold of most of the information on my machine, I'd actually be happy and I'd encourage them to spread it around. Um, because, quite frankly, it's it's data sheets and, and presentations and things like that. Um, right, because you're in marketing, right? Yeah, and there'd be just a few things like product plans and business plans that I'd want to encrypt, and those would be sensitive. Right. Um, but if you didn't have that delineation and you and you didn't know from a company perspective, um, there's no there's no harm in simply encrypting all your data that's on mobile drives, and especially as, as drives become mobile. Right. It's one thing if you have all that data on your hard drive and it's locked in your office and it's locked to your desk. That's one thing. But if it's in your pocket, roaming around subways and airplanes and taxi cabs, that's quite another story. Right. So, you know, th- I think the biggest threat uh, really is, is the unscrupulous employee. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? I, I do agree, yes. And, and so what, when you're recommending to to clients besides just using your product, which is is a great help because it basically um, has an audit trail. We know who's who's taking it, when they're leaving, where where they're putting it, where the where the data is. What else do you recommend to them in terms of, of helping them to reduce those unscrupulous employees? Well, one of the things, and and I think you really hit hit the head on that nail on the head is that employees are the weakest link in all of these in in all these security situations and an unscrupulous employee has the potential to do significant damage and if the employees around that individual are aware that really decreases the chance of that that employee doing something so one of the things that we think is very important as i was saying the flash drive sort of snuck in uh, to corporations, but now there's literally twenty, tens and twenties of millions of these things in tr- in companies. Right. Is to educate your employees about the risks and responsibilities, and I think that there's you know there's without without being too 
heavy-handed about this education, I think people need to communicate to their employees that there is both the risk to the company, um, hard costs in terms of, you know, if Boeing lost the, the plans to the next jet, they may not be in business, <clears throat> and no one at Boeing may have a job. Or one of the things we're seeing in spades is if you lose data, you lose your job. Right. Um, and that that's happening across the board when, when people lose their lose data, particularly in high-profile breach cases. Right. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, when, because we know so much identity theft occurs in the workplace, we always recommend that you do a background check on, on people who are going to have access to sensitive information and limit that access. Just don't even give them the, the passwords to get in unless they absolutely need it. Absolutely. Both, both screening and, and privilege management are absolutely key. Um, I, I personally believe that overprivileged uh, users is, is the cause of many unscrupulous losses. Yeah, I mean, I, I know people have access without even really um, needing that access, and and that's that's a real problem. Is you know, people just get more of the uh, opportunity then that they shouldn't even be having. There was a uh, a recent breach uh, at a nuclear power plant. Right. Uh, where that individual's job, and this was a, a USB flash drive breach, and that individual's job literally was breaking rods. Um, and you got to ask yourself, how does a guy whose job it is breaking rods uh, get access to sensitive inf- information and get it onto a flash drive? Right. Yeah. How did they uh, even get into the rooms? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, over overprivileged se- seems to be the answer. Exactly. Now, w- with your products, for example, there has to be somebody monitoring this, right? So, so let's say that there are you've got these audit trails and you know where this is going. Who who is watching this? I mean, if you have all this great information but nobody's monitoring it, then what happens? Well, we we actually create reports um, on a regular basis. So our our server itself is, is continually sweeping the data and looking at the data. And we have a bunch of canned reports and what we call compliance reports. And we also have inventory reports. So at any point in time, you would know if, if someone is looking at it. So clearly you would need a process to review the reports. Um, but as long as that process was in place, um, you would probably flag the anomalies. Okay, so, so in other words, you have to dedicate somebody to be in charge of monitoring these reports to see if something's missing, right? Correct. So who do you recommend that be, the, you know, the, the head of IT, or who, who is that? Or someone who works for that individual. Okay, so, so somebody pretty high up. Someone in security, um, typically someone uh, in, if the company has a chief information security officer, yeah. uh, typically someone in that office. Right, and then they really need to have somebody looking over his shoulder. <laughs> you know, that's the, you have to have the the checks Delegation and the balance, duties, yeah, for sure. and and make sure because I know we hear from people who um, have have had you know even law firms call us all, you know all the time and they say hey we've had somebody embezzle, and it's somebody we've had for thirteen years who we trusted, et cetera, et cetera, and that was nobody watching over their shoulder. So, you know, that's another – It's a lot of this is really the, kind of the social engineering stuff and the, and the social issues besides just you could have all the greatest technology, but if you don't have the, um, the, the human aspect in place, it, it's just a, not going to work, right? Correct. Absolutely not. 
What about, are there um, like alarms? Like if somebody tries to take something out, is there um, some kind of an alarm that goes to, off to, in the IT department? No, but that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from, from the mouths of someone who doesn't know what she's talking about. But it seems to me that, that you know, it's like a, a lot of the stuff you're talking about is reactive after something happens. Well, the good news is you can blow it up after it happens, but who has had access already before it blows up? You know what I'm saying? So if you had some kind of technology that at the port where someone's trying to take it, if there was some kind of an alarm that went off, kind of like a car alarm, it seems like that would be helpful to be preactive, uh, proactive rather than reactive. Yeah, that, that actually is the, the intersection of what they call enterprise rights management and our solution. So literally I was talking about the classification of data. Yes. Where if something crosses that threshold, you literally throw up a flag. So if if any classified information crosses this, this USB port, toss up the flag. Um, and but who sees the flag? That is something that we're working with these vendors on, and, and we haven't built yet. Yeah. I think it yet. should be a buzzer. <laughs> a buzzer? Yeah. I think a buzzer should go off if something, instead of just a flag. If somebody's not watching, but a buzzer would be annoying enough. It's like a car alarm. You know what I mean? If you hear a car alarm, <laughs> you get so annoyed with it. But if you see a flag, you may miss it. You may You're like, hey, this is bad data. Don't steal it. Right. And right. One, of, one of the things, uh, a number that came out recently is nearly half employees take data with them when they leave the company. So even if they don't have an unscrupulous intent... Um, they yeah. may inadvertently do it. Yeah, they might. You know, they, 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 may, they may just want to have a copy of their own email, but they lose that flash drive on their way home. Exactly. Or how about all the people who do, you know, uh, work from home? You know, the commuting, the remote com- com- remote working, and and they take stuff home and then they forget that they have it on their computer. And maybe it's not a company computer. Maybe it's really their own computer. But they want to take it home, or they have it on their laptop, which is the business laptop. And then they transfer some things to their, uh, you know, to their uh, regular PC. Uh, what about that? That's where our other solution really comes into play. And that's really targeted the to the remote worker or the mobile worker, which is is one of the largest one of the largest user bases in the world, with tens of millions of people. And you get you see people that are you know we we've sort of we talk about them in terms of how they work with in terms of a day extender or a laptop alternative. So I personally no longer carry a laptop with me. Um, I only work from from shared machines around my household, which is a certain amount of risk because approximately 3% of the PCs in the world right now have keyloggers on them. And keyloggers themselves are, are quite an insidious threat. Um, or we may so have you're talking key- about like malware? Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. The, the, yeah. So so how do how are we getting that? I mean, I, I have, is it because we have software firewalls instead of hardware firewalls on our, on our, um, on our laptops? Like I have a router. You know. the, the vectors for malware are, are growing and numerous beyond belief, and that, that's why the shared PC is such a dangerous place. Um, a shared household PC, particularly if you share it with a teenager, right. um, can be a very, very dangerous place. Yeah, because they're doing that peer-to-peer file sharing, and they're going to all the social networking. Yeah, and a, a lot of the websites where they have a, an ability to create a form or the ability to input um, also have the ability to, to put up malware. 
So sites like FaceTime and, and sites like that where the users actually interact with the site in real time, right. they can actually put up malware scripts that get downloaded just by simply go visiting that web page. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, so that, that's why I say a shared PC is a very, very dangerous place, particularly if you're using that shared PC to do something like online banking with. Right, right. We had a recent... Because a keylogger, even if you, and, and people should know this, that if, if you're using um, a, a computer that has keylogging software, they can see what your, what your password and your username is, even if you have a password that's 15 numbers and letters mixed, right? Absolutely. There is an instance recently in Carson City, Nevada, where the controller of that city actually got a keylogger placed on her PC, and... Uh, they proceeded to write over $450,000 worth of checks out of the city's checking account. Oh, my God. Because once a keylogger is on your machine, they have complete knowledge of all your keystrokes. And there's even, even keyloggers that, that track your mouse strokes and clicks as well. So does your company do anything about making sure that companies don't get, get malware on them or... Do you have anything to do with that? A absolutely. One of the in in our access solution, the very first thing we do is we scan. We provide a very high speed malware scan okay. uh, to make sure there's no keyloggers on. So if our our access solution provides the ability to to tunnel very deeply into the corporate network with a uh, our stealth browser and with Citrix clients, and before you open up a private tunnel. Uh, you want to make sure you're opening up that private tunnel from a, a safe and sound place. Otherwise, you're giving, uh, if you're not, if you just open up a VPN tunnel from, from an insecure place, you're just giving the, the hacker a lot of privacy. Right, right. <laughs> Which is not the sort of privacy that I believe in. No, it's, it's, no it is not. But so once it, let's say it does determine that there's malware on there, then, then you, you just, it just doesn't allow it in, is that right? Yeah, well, our, our, our solution is very policy-oriented. So the, the administrator, and once again, this can be set for different groups of users. So you may have a legal, a legal group that has very strict rules. You may have a sales group that has looser rules. Um, and based on the, the con level of contamination of that underlying PC, we can restrict which applications the user can see. So on, in this solution, we have web, mail, Citrix, RSA, and uh, based on how how contaminated it is, if it's a if it's a red environment, we could simply say no access. Right. If it's orange, we could say you can see the, you can see the web, but not your files or your email. Or if it's yellow, we could just warn the the user. And w once again, um, our solution is built to work from any PC. So if you don't have administrative rights, it'll just warn you. And if you do, it'll allow you to remove it. It'll allow you to remove what? The malware. Oh, it, it will. And so does your solution actually have something that removes the malware? Or you, or Absolutely. You, oh, it does. So if it says you can't use this until the malware is removed, then there's a little solution that you push, remove the malware? Exactly. Almost like, my, like using SpyBot? Like, much like using SpyBot, um, except the, a, a corporate user at, a, at his work PC may not have those rights. So he may have to call up his admin and say, hey, I've got some spyware on my, on my work PC, versus when they go home, they probably do have administrative rights and they can simply remove it. So tell me, John, how long does it take when I put this USB um, thing in and it tells me and it's got the software in it, how long will it take for me to do a scan to see if there's malware? 
Well, our, our solution is optimized to really protect the online session, so it's very fast. We can scan a PC in under 40 seconds. Wow. And, that, and that's because we're really not looking to save that PC. We're really looking just to save that user in that user's session. So right. the scope of things we're looking for is much smaller. Okay, because I know when I run SpyBot, um, it, it takes a while. It doesn't take 40 seconds, that's for sure. You, you wouldn't want to run that every time you used your PC. That's no, for sure. that's why I'm saying that, that that's really good. So it's looking specifically for keylogging software? Keyloggers, um, malware, Trojans, things like that. Okay, so why don't you explain what the difference of all that is to those people who don't know, who are driving by, who maybe are business people, but they're not technology-oriented. Sure. I know you know what worms are and, and Trojans, so well, kind of well, explain. Mal- malware is, is, a, is a very generic term that just basically describes bad software. It's software right. with bad intent. Right. Um, and it could be something as simple as a tracking cookie that you don't want to be tracked. Right. So we pick up things like that. And I, I personally don't like my activities tracked. And mu- for much the same reason I use cash versus credit cards, I just don't like leaving my trailer around. It's not right. that I have anything to hide. I just don't feel it's anyone's business. Right. And if that's the way people feel, then they should really remove these tracking cookies. The next level is is things like adware, which is a little bit more annoying where they might pop up an ad uh, when you least expect it. And that's bad. Um, but it's not, it's not the end of the world. Key loggers, as, as you've clearly articulated, capture every single keystroke on your PC. So every time you hit the K, it captures the K, and they literally just write it to a file, and you can open up that file and read the, 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 the keystrokes of the user as plain as day. Um, and in regular intervals, they can, they can send it off to FTP locations, and, and it can be attacked. Right. Um, and then Trojans and, and Rootkits even create a more insidious threat. Wait, no, wait, wait, what you said, Trojans, and what was the other one? And, and Rootkits. And rootkits, root, I don't know what that is. Rootkits are another form of malware that actually dig down deep into the OS and, and are very difficult to, to identify. Huh. And what do they do? Uh, once again, they, they, have a, they can have a variety of tasks from, from just simply sending spam, Okay. Um, oh, using your email to send yeah, spam? They, they, they tend to, to create what they call botnets, which are robot networks, right. um, where thousands and thousands of PCs will be harnessed together for a, ha- a hacker's intention. May, it might be like the recent worm storm we saw, or it might be just for, for a spammer. Uh-huh. And un, uh, you know, unbeknownst to the user, they're, they're sending out thousands and thousands of email, and all they notice is their PC is a little bit slower. Mm. It's, it's hard enough for a company that has a chief IT officer, right? But for those of us who are, you know, small businesses, you know, I, I have my own computer guy who, who comes over, you know, uh, several times a month to, to work on things and make sure that everything's working right and looking at the network. But if you're, if you're, what do we do? Are you, is your solution really for, for smaller and mid-sized businesses as well? Our solution is re- really targets small to, or medium-sized to larger, larger businesses. Right. Um, typically, user bases of over 100 okay. uh, would use our stuff. But for highly sensitive account or customers like, like legal firms and financials, we do we do have some customers as small as 25. Mhm. Mhm. I mean, I would think that accountants and lawyers who have sensitive inf- information would also need this, right? 
Absolutely, because as you know, accountants and lawyers are are, are faced with complying with all of the 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 compliance regulations that their their clients have. You know what's really scary is when you think about these small companies that do outsourcing for larger companies, and maybe they only have five people working for them. They are, yeah, but they but they may have just huge databases, right? Absolutely. That's what's really scary is they need to be covered as well. Absolutely. So tell me, you were talking about cookies a few moments ago. Um, does your solution use cookies? And, and what happens if, if it does? Well, you know, it, it, as you've probably tried to turn off cookies, um, your your Internet experience deteriorates rapidly. Right. So, you know, use of cookies is a pretty elemental part of the web experience. Right. Um but with our solution, what we do is we store all the cookies and, and, and the cache files actually on the drive. So when we call it a stealth browser, what we're talking about is really protecting your, your identity and your, your, your net surfing and your, your, your cookies and your cache. I tell people not to leave their cache line around. Right. Um, you, you don't want to leave your cache line around. So we write it all to the stick. So if, if, you're, if you're using the Internet and, and recently... Uh, my my wife was in Canada and she needed to check on some online banking, and she did actually she didn't have one of my sticks with her. She was absolutely unwilling to do online banking from uh, from the the local library because she knew full well that the cache and temp files that that would leave lying around would provide a, a, a not so knowledgeable hacker complete access to our banking. Well, you've taught her well, haven't you? <laughs> I try. <laughs> right. Well, Lloyd is telling me that we, we don't have much time, but what do you see as the future of mobile access with all the craziness and the, and the fast-paced uh, information age that we live in? What do you see? Well, I, you know, it, it, as we talked about, this, this USB threat and the, and the loss from, from unscrupulous employees is huge and it's growing. And I really see that in the next 12 to 18 months, People are really going to be looking to, to solve that and plug that hole. And, and really the future, and I think what's mo- more exciting from, from my perspective, is security as an enabler, where our access solution really allows people to work in new and different ways and, and go on the road without carrying laptops and have everything they need, including one of the things we recently added is, is a complete office suite on that drive. So they can go on the road, they can borrow a PC, know that their identity is safe, and still do everything they need without that PC. And so when they when they open the, that USB drive, they don't ever really have to save it on that hard drive, right? They can just use it right there? No, they never should. Right. And then they can borrow anybody's PC, and it, and it just never gets, um, gets into that other PC unless they want it to, right? It's just a dumb host unless they save to it. Right. Well, gosh, there's so many important things that we didn't even get to that we'll have to talk to you again. But we can go to redcanon.com and find out more. And I know that there were a lot of articles on there as well, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So thank you so much, John, for joining us. You were terrific, and we we hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks for the time, Mary. Okay. We'll talk to you later. And you've been listening to John Jeffries, who is a obviously a, a techie person who is also a marketing guru and he is vice president of marketing for red cannon security and you can go to redcannon.com and learn much more about the solutions that they have and the problems that they solve you've been listening to privacy piracy i'm the host mari frank 
And please visit our website, KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy, to hear our previous interviews, which are all archived, see our previous guests, our upcoming guests, download the podcast, send us emails. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you, Lloyd, for being a great engineer. We hope that you'll join us next Wednesday right here, Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. on Privacy Piracy. Good evening. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.